0: In John chapter number 12, we're talking about the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, the Passover was about to happen, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Father, thank you. What an amazing truth this is. So often we overlook it. We rush through the week and look at Gethsemane and Calvary and the empty tomb and forget how this set the whole scene up. So help us by revelation, by illumination, and then transformation to gain truth from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today's Palm Sunday. When I was a kid, all the Catholic relatives would all bring over palm branches after Mass. And they would greet we Pentecostals with the palm branch and peace. (laughs) You know, there was something cool about that in a way because it was a commemoration. There was an awareness at least taught them about what Palm Sunday is. Sometimes we don't always pay enough attention to the importance of what this theme is. So we're here to examine an entrance that we will never forget but not what anybody expected that day. We're going to take a look at three major players in this story and the lessons that we can take from this as Jesus makes an entrance into our own lives. And so you have a worksheet you can work with and you can fill in and take home with you for later study. Sometimes things happen in life and we just don't expect them. Things sometimes just don't go the way we expect them to. Anybody ever run into that? (laughs) With this triumphant entry of Jesus... He comes into Jerusalem with the crowds and the people, and they're waving huge palm branches and shouting, Hosanna. There are three groups in this story that were participatory. There was the crowd, there were the Pharisees, and the disciples. They were all part of this event in Jerusalem that day. But the grand entrance didn't quite turn out the way all three groups expected. They kind of had an idea of what might happen, but they missed it. They all missed it, all three of them. It's kind of an interesting story. guard was there. Roman soldiers were there. Inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem were there. There was a big feast going on. People are all over the place. It's a big day. He's made his entrance into the city coming down off the Mount of Olives. A little background is the people are waving their branches. They're shouting, Hosanna. And come to understand, this is not the first time this happened. Because in fact, it was a traditional greeting. The people were accustomed. They would see a, a national hero or a conquering warrior come back And upon entry to the city, and they knew that person was coming through the gates, they would wave their palm branches and be exuberant over his return. The palm branch was a national symbol of victory. And they would shout, Hosanna, which meant, save us now. Save us now. And they shouted and chanted, Hosanna. But number one, I want you to look at the crowd. The interesting thing about this crowd is they had a perspective of, what's in it for me? Their perspective of the entire entrance of Jesus, the event, was simply, what's in this for me? They weren't looking for a savior who would take away their sins. They were simply looking for someone to get the Romans off their backs because they were under Roman rule and very oppressed. So they wanted to get out from underneath the Roman Empire, and they heard of this deliverer, Jesus, coming into town. He had healed the sick, cast out devils chased money changers out of the temple of God. Now he has just raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, just the day before. So a lot of them have heard this and he's coming into the city. There's this big entourage and they're gathered and they've come through the gates into the Jerusalem and people see them, they're excited and they realize this is the one who raises the dead. Wow. If he can do that, he can handle the Romans. So they grab palm branches and they wave and they shout, Hosanna. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And some in the scripture, it says in John, we're asking this question, Who is this guy? Who is he? Well, we don't know. But he's our meal ticket out of here. He can handle the Romans. I mean, he even raises the dead. Most of them didn't really know who he was. And one thing for sure, they were just looking for what they wanted. All they wanted was for them. In fact, they thought Jesus was there to fulfill their wishes. Listen to what it says. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. That's how they saw him. That's what they wanted, a king. But when they realized that Jesus was not going to do what they expected, the same group of people who were shouting, save us now, just a few chapters later say, take him away, take him away, crucify him. So my tendency to be self-centered leads to deception. We all have a tendency, a propensity to be self-centered. It's called human nature. We acquired it at birth. It continues to be soiled as we develop and we grow. And we have to constantly war against it as born-again believers with a new nature The Apostle Paul said the flesh and the spirit, they war against one another. So they both live in us, and there's a war going on for who's going to control the life of the individual. We have a tendency to be self-centered and to lean back to our own understanding and our old patterns, and that self-centeredness leads us to deception. We can't really see and understand what we need because we're so focused on what we want and what we think we want. Secondly, there were the religious leaders. And look at them. These guys, the religious leaders, they knew this prophecy. I mean, these folk could quote Scripture better than most of us. They knew the Holy Scripture. They'd seen that this was going to happen because all the way back in the book of Daniel, it was recorded. This event was recorded. Daniel the prophet prophesied 300-plus years prior the exact date of Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem. He actually gave a number on a calendar of when Messiah was going to enter the city. And you would think they'd be marking these days off their calendar. But they didn't see it. They didn't get it because they were self-centered. The Old Testament tells us it was prophesied by Zechariah that Jesus would come, that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem riding on a colt of a donkey. How did they miss this? Their perspective was simply this, I'm in control. The religious leaders' perspective of this entire circumstance was, I'm in control here, not you, Jesus, we are. The religious leaders had a really good thing going. They didn't want Jesus messing this all up. The Romans pretty much let the religious leaders do what they wanted, and they had some control over the Jews now. And the Romans left them alone to govern things as long as they abided by Roman authority. But the religious leaders were scared of Jesus. They were intimidated of him because they thought he was going to attempt a political coup and upset the whole apple cart. So they thought, he's going to mess up a good thing. And we're in control here, and we're not going to let go of that control. So the Pharisees say, the Pharisees said to each other, we've lost. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So they're very panicked over what They see happening around Jesus. My desire for control creates an unteachable heart. That's why they didn't know him when he showed up. The Pharisees, even though they knew the law, even though they knew the scripture, even though they should have known these things, were pointing to this actual day and this very special man. They missed it totally because they had an unteachable heart. They had a hardened heart because they insisted on being in control. Third, the disciples. Take a moment and look at the disciples. It's kind of interesting to watch them. They had walked with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had been with him for three-plus years now. They were following him and his teachings and watching his work. They had limited use in the sense that he would send them out and got them started to ministry and and praying for the sick and that kind of thing. But all through their experience, Jesus kept them reined in, until he was ready to release them because they would be empowered on the day of Pentecost after his resurrection. So when Jesus healed the lepers, remember the story? Remember how it all worked and how Jesus made sure this didn't get too far? He strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. And Jesus kind of keeps hemming this in when he healed Jairus' daughter. I mean, this is one of those amazing miracles as well. In Luke 8 and 56, he told everyone there, All of his disciples, shh, there's no reason to talk about this. Be quiet. When Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration, he tells the disciples that were with him, say nothing to no one, do not talk about what you've seen this day. Wow. So he's holding them back. And In John 8 and 20 it says, he describes why. My time has not yet come. We don't want this launched in the wrong direction at the wrong time. And he was telling them, it's not time yet. My time has not yet come. Now they all come walking into Jerusalem with Jesus. And people are waving palm branches. And the shouts are filling the city. Hosanna! And the disciples are looking around thinking, this is awesome, man. (laughs) And the Pharisees look at Jesus and they say, you need to shut these people down. Make them be quiet. They should not be saying these things about you, Jesus. Make them stop. And the disciples had seen Jesus do this time after time after time. So they expected that Jesus was going to make them stop. But instead, Jesus turns around to the Pharisees and says, no, not going to do it. (laughs) Let them sing my praises. In fact, if they don't sing my praises, the rocks we're standing on will cry out my praises. Whoa. The disciples are beside themselves. This is the moment we've been waiting for man, this is it for us. And if I were with them, and I was standing there that day because I love to put myself in the story. I would say, master, teacher, you know, is this our moment? Because you've just shut, you've just shut down these Pharisees who told you to shut it all down. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to shut it down. And I'd be thinking, what a moment. What an opportunity. In fact, I'd be laughing at the Pharisees. Man, he laid one on you. It was good. i put myself in the middle of this. These disciples were out of their head excited because finally Jesus is making a declaration. But they were not understanding. They were not seeing the bigger picture. They missed it. Jesus was making a grand entrance, but not as they expected. Because the crown that Jesus is going to wear had no jewels on it. That's what they thought he was going to wear. The throne that he was going to take and sit upon was not on earth. The disciples' perspective was, not like this. Not like this. Because in Matthew 16, there's this conversation between Jesus and Peter. And from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. And it's a very strong word. It's a rebuke. So Peter decided to rebuke God. I'm going to reprimand God okay, for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this would ever happen to you. Not like this. Not like this. I know you've come to your kingdom. I know you're here to do a great work. But not like this, Lord. That's not the way we see it. We are, see ourselves sitting with you in leadership and reigning and ruling with you. Well, so look at these three situations in these groups, and I can see myself in each one of them. The result of a lack of trust in God's plan produces blindness. You get blind spots. Blindness to what really matters blindness to God's bigger picture. And the disciples were right. Jesus was the king of kings, but not the way they expected. Because much like the crowd, they thought Jesus was going to be there to take up an earthly throne. That wasn't the point. And so when that didn't happen, not like this. And I know that our difficulties in life and the obstacles and trials, they produce character traits that are necessary for us to live a fruitful, productive Christian life. Our life serving Jesus is not without trouble, not without obstacle, but a lot of times we don't want to have to go through what's necessary to gain those character traits, to lose the blind spots. I'd rather God just insert them into me, and some people think they'll have them when we lay hands on them on a Sunday night. Boom, instantaneously, I've got fruit growing in me. It's not the way it grows, folks. It takes soil, and it takes weather. And it takes fertilization. It's like they think it. some people have this perspective of church as like a spiritual drive through Kind of cool. You know, we'd open one up on the side parking lot here. And if you could drive through our drive through and the sign would say, Welcome to spiritual growth. How can I help you, please? Well, I'd like an order of patience and grace. But I need you to hold the tribulation. Thank you. No, it doesn't work like that. Not at all. But many times in our lives, it's like, okay, God, I want to grow. I need to grow. I need to be closer to you. I want things to start changing and happening. I want the life you promised. But not like this. (laughs) Not like this. You mean I'm going to struggle? Mm -hmm. There's going to be some pain in it? Oh, yeah. But all three of these groups, the crowd, the Pharisees, the disciples, they all experienced that entrance of Jesus coming into the city. They all saw him coming through the gate. They were there when Jesus came in on the back of that donkey, but none of them understood what that meant. It wasn't quite what any of them expected. Do you see yourself in any of these three depictions? I can see myself in all three of the moments. There's something special that happens when Jesus makes that entrance into your life's circumstance. What happens when Jesus enters your life or situation is first he creates a beautiful disruption. (laughs) It's beautiful because it's for your good. It's a disruption of your patterns. When Jesus enters, when Jesus makes an entrance into my situation in life, there's this great, beautiful disruption that happens. And Jesus had a conversation with Peter and Andrew. Jesus is walking up in the north part of of Israel by the Sea of Galilee, and he comes upon Peter and Andrew as they were fishing on the sea before they had begun to follow Jesus. And Jesus is walking along the sea, and these guys had this great business, and it was their enterprise, and it was their day-to-day business. And they were doing well, and, and it was more than one partner involved. But Jesus knew he had a greater purpose for their lives. He had not only the time they were in, but a season and a purpose to come. And he wanted to see that unfold Just like we were describing how it unfolded in Pastor Pastor Alex's life. And you see how this works and it unfolds and step by step it it develops. And Jesus knew there's a greater purpose for you than this. They were destined to accomplish something significant. So Jesus creates this disruption. It's a disruption from their day-to-day business. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. They were willing to put it all down and go because they knew there had to be more to life than what they were doing. And the same old routine, the same old day-to-day, and Jesus walks into their life and says, I'm offering you an opportunity to embrace significance. Would any of you like that in your life, significance? They wanted it so badly, they left everything at once and followed Jesus. Yeah, I want to do something that has significance. And there's an interesting account here, and it kind of describes a little bit about the way our minds work. Because in your notes, you see a line that says, once conscious thinking ceases, ingrained patterns take over. Because God constructed our brain, so we have a subconscious part and a conscious part So when our conscious mind is not engaged, our subconscious mind goes to work. And let me kind of illustrate this a little bit. Have you ever left your home and your intent was to keep your appointment over at the dentist office? Because you don't go to the dentist every day. You know, you go there a couple times a year at most. It's my couple of times a year where during that day I get one hour of rest because nobody can interrupt me. Yeah, it's good. So when they lay me out in that chair, thank you, Lord. Everybody else goes crazy. (laughs) Really? Okay. Anyway. Well, you don't know what I... There's nothing ever you can do in here that I haven't had done. So don't tell me your story. Okay. But you're on your way to the dentist. The next thing you know, you find yourself making the turn and heading to your office. And you go, what am I doing? I'm supposed to go turn there because I have to go to the dentist office. Has anybody ever done that? You go, can I go on automatic pilot? Well, I've done that before, you know, because I'm in church all the time. So my wife asked me to, you know, go here on, on your way to the office. Could you stop by and da da da? And I'm in my car. And invariably, instead of going where I'm, I head back over to the office because my subconscious mind takes me to the office, okay? Because when your conscious mind is not engaged, your subconscious mind kicks in with all the ingrained patterns that we've built into that. And because I drive here seven days a week, this takes me right automatic, right? Have you ever made three or four turns and you didn't remember making the turn? That's what I'm talking about. It's an ingrained pattern. We all have these ingrained patterns. But some of those patterns are not healthy, especially when it comes to your spiritual growth and your spiritual life. They're not productive. There's kind of a phrase we use to describe that, same old, same old, same old, same thing, same routines. And you get stagnated, and you don't learn how to dig deeper to grow in the Lord. Sometimes you get stuck in a rut spiritually, and here's the proper definition of a rut. It's a robotic, unchallenged thinking robotic, unchallenged thinking. When you just naturally fall into the groove and into the rut, do the same thing over and over, and sometimes that rut, those ingrained patterns are not healthy for your spiritual life. Let me ask you this question. If your life stays on the current trajectory that you're on, spiritually, will it land Will it land you at your God-given destiny? If you don't make a course adjustment, Will you just remain stagnant in your spiritual growth? Perhaps even land you further away from where God intended you to be because you're unwilling to make change and course adjustment. So maybe some of you are stuck in a rut. You're in this robotic, unchallenged thinking. Here's here's a truth you need to discover. When Jesus brings you to himself and makes this entry, it doesn't stop there. (laughs) It starts there. He's now taking you on a journey. When Jesus makes that entrance into your situation, he becomes part of the obstacles, part of your history. Part You invite him into that problem, part of your life and your decisions you make day to day. He comes in and disrupts things. He shakes them up and realigns everything and changes your trajectory in life so that you're headed for your destiny, your season, and your purpose. And time after time... God has to shake things up to break us out of our robotic, unchallenged thinking. He makes course adjustments. When Jesus enters your situation, when he makes entrance into your life, yeah, he creates a beautiful disruption, and it leads to a new perspective. So secondly, Jesus brings a new perspective, and there's a reason why. Because your perspective is your reality. Your perspective is the framework through which you view the world and interpret everything that happens. Many things go into the creation of our perspective, including our background, childhood, education, your DNA, the atmosphere spiritually, or lack of it in your home. All these things contribute to the construction of your perspective, the the framework through which you view or see the world. And it's amazing how that framework has such a massive impact on how you process information, how you think. That's why Paul said you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Otherwise, you will be conformed to this world. You will get in the rut. Let me give an example. It's kind of gross, but I'm forewarning you. Okay. You get on an airplane. Most of you have ever been? In, you've been in airplanes, right? All of you. Anybody here never been in an airplane? Really? Okay. Well, this will be, be educational for you. You're ready to take your seat. And by the way, the most prolific place to find germs, you need a hazmat suit, or gloves at least, is that little slot in the back of the seat in front of you. What is in there, you don't want to touch. Don't put your fingers on it and open it. Because the stuff growing in there, listen, that's documented. You don't want to touch that stuff, okay? But you get on this plane, there's this foul, unbelievable, horrific odor. It's pungent. and It physiologically challenges you when you inhale it. And those of you who are parents, when your kids were young, you had to change your diapers or they'd throw up and you had to clean up the mess. But when someone else's kid did it, ugh. You know what I'm saying? That kind of reaction. When you sit down on this plane... It's like somebody needed a barf bag, but they missed. Okay, I told you it was gross. It's okay. We had kids. We understand how this all works on planes, trains, and automobiles because we've experienced all, all, on all. Okay, <laughs> and someone's done something, and you want kind to of know where is that in proximity to my seat? Very important for you to know where that's located. Because you don't want it in your seating area, and if it is, where is it? And is anybody doing anything about this? Does anybody not smell this? So you start getting that weird feeling in your mouth because your sensories begin to respond to this. And then you look around, you notice a gap in the seats in front of you, and you look over. And there's this person holding this, I'll call it this, airport pepperoni pizza. I won't mention the name of the one in town. It's similar, very similar. Okay. Airport pepperoni pizza. And they're sprinkling stuff on the top of it. And that's what you're smelling. The grease. The stale cheese. And you're looking for the barf bag. And here's what's happening. The second you see the pizza, see, you go from... Boy, right now, if I could have a thin crust Giordano's pizza and bring that on board the plane, wow, would that be cool? Everything changes because your perspective started to change. And you have a better understanding of the circumstance because now you see something you didn't see before. Our perspective should develop as our relationship with Jesus deepens. If that's not happening, there's something seriously wrong with our spiritual growth. In John 12, his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Came together. Oh, now we get it. And Jesus had completed his mission. Their perspectives changed. They developed And their relationship, as it deepened with Jesus, their perspective changed. And now they get it. Now they understand what's going on. They understand that's what he was here to do. And sometimes our perspective is somewhat like the crowd or like the Pharisees or even like the disciples that day on Palm Sunday. Sometimes our perspective is, Jesus, what am I going to get out of this? Okay. What's in it for me? What benefit can I get from you? Sometimes the perspective is, well, I'm in control, Lord i got a pretty good plan for my life. It's kind of like Pastor Michael mentioned at the beginning of the service about his daughter who who goes around now saying, I do it. I will do it. You know, that kind of perspective we have with the Lord. Uh, uh, Pastor Alex mentioned it in the first service. I think I know what I'm doing, and all of a sudden God has to interrupt that. If you could just bless it, Lord, because this is really what I want to do. If you could just make it happen for me the way I see it, that would really be great. And sometimes our perspective is, come on, Lord, really? Not like this. (laughs) You're really letting me go through it this way? So when my relationship deepens with Jesus, my perspective is developed. It grows. It matures. There's spiritual development. And here's something I understand about perspectives. They must be framed with faith, not with feeling. Our perspectives must be framed by faith, not with feeling, because my feelings will let me down. Feelings will change. They come out of that old nature. They come out of that old perspective, and they can say things to me that I think, that's okay, because it's the comfort of what I know, but I have to approach God with faith, not with my feelings, So my perspectives have to be framed by faith, not with feelings. Feelings will disappoint us. They will disillusion us and derail us. So my perspective must be framed by faith. And thirdly, Jesus offers you this Hosanna moment here. Because when he makes an entrance, when I allow him to make an entrance into my life, he brings this beautiful disruption. He creates this new perspective, things i would never seen before. And then he offers me this moment transformational moment. When the people were chanting Hosanna, they're waving their palm branches. Jesus enters the city on the back of a donkey and they're shouting to Jesus. It was more than a greeting. It was more than God saved the queen. No, when they, when you look at the word in the Aramaic language and they're saying Hosanna, really it means relief from the crushing weight. Give us relief from the crushing weight. They said, Hosanna, God save us. But that word means relief. From the crushing weight. In Matthew 26, 38, Jesus is gone into the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. It's just before the moments when he's going to be arrested. One of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. And he realizes what's about to happen. He's in this moment. The sins of the world, from Adam to the last man, are going to be laid on his shoulders. And in that moment, Jesus says these words: My soul is crushed with grief. To the point of death. He knew what he was about to take on. It wasn't the physical torture that was vexing Jesus' spirit. That was not what he was afraid of. But make no mistake, he was afraid. Because he knew when the sins of the world, my sins, your sins, the sins of your children, the sins of our forefathers, when he took all of this on himself they were going to create a separation between himself and his father and that's new territory new territory for Jesus and it scares him to the point of crushing it vexes him and he bleeds from his capillaries but he took that weight to create this hosanna moment this moment of absolute liberation Relief from the crushing load for you and for me. Because he knew we could never carry that. So he took it and carried it. And in carrying that, he gave us room to breathe. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you. I am humble and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. He gives us room to breathe. Relief from the weight of sin, of guilt. He lifts off of me what I could never lift off of me and takes it on himself. And then he gives me room and space. So I have some freedom. And when he makes this entrance into your life and your situation, he brings this moment. Hosanna. Hosanna. Relief to all the pressure, room to breathe. But here's the whole thing. The key to the whole story is what you choose to give to Jesus. I know what he brought me, but the key here is what now do you choose? What's your response? What do you choose to give to Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't make a forced entry here. Let me know what this is. How many of you have ever had fun with Play-Doh? Come on, put your hands up, all the honest people. How many here have really never touched Play-Doh before? Really? Wow, okay. Play-Doh. All of you have eaten this this as a child. In fact, your kids are eating this right now in Reality Kids Church. No, just kidding. Just kidding, you're not. (laughs) This Plato represents you and me. Here's the question. If this is my life, how much of me am I surrendering to Jesus? Because this is the key. The key is surrender. When Jesus makes his entrance into Jerusalem, he did so as an act of surrender. That's what he was doing. Surrendering so that we could go free. Matthew 26, he's praying in the garden. He sees, says these words. He went on a little further and bowed his, with his face to the ground. He cried, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He's willing to surrender himself to the father because he knew, my father... Knows what's best here. This is the only way it can be done. Sometimes we have the tendency to say, Jesus, I'll give you this much and I'll handle this if you can help me with this. Know what I'm saying? Take a piece of advice. That's not the way to go. Well, I'm gonna, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm gonna give you this much, so I can go to heaven. But I'm gonna. I, I want to kind of the rest of this. I just want to keep doing what I've been doing because it's comfortable and it, it's kind of like what I want, and it fills my desires and it does everything the way I want it done. And I give this to Jesus to work with. Not a lot, and He'll work with what I give Him. That's the kind of God he is. Jesus will work with what you give him. But if I give him all of me, I say, Here I am, Lord. If you give him all of you, if you surrender all of yourself to him and invite him to make entrance into your life, an unforgettable entrance, he'll bring that relief. He'll lift the burdens. He'll give you room to breathe and create something beautiful that has significance in your life, give you season and purpose. Jesus comes, and he makes an entrance into our situations. When he does, it may not be what you expect immediately, but it's everything you need. Because when he comes, he comes fully equipped because he knows exactly the roadmap map for your life. And when Jesus makes an entrance into your situation, and you invite him into the problems and the obstacles, it may not be what you expect, but it's everything you need. Everything. And you might be a regular here at Calvary Christian Center, or you're just visiting and checking things out. You're not real sure about the Christian faith. Let me say it this way to you. This Jesus that made an unforgettable entrance on what we call Palm Sunday into Jerusalem. He's ready. He's prepared. He got you here today to make an entrance into your life, to change it forever. Will you let him make that entrance? And how do you do that? By welcoming him without an agenda. What am I going to get out of this? Or, no, I want to control this. You can have this part, but not this part. Or, Lord, not this way. Not like this. You invite him. I believe Jesus is who he says he is, he's God's son. He came and took my burden. Sin that I could never find relief from and lifted off of me. It gave me room to breathe because I said, Forgive me. I repent. I turn. I want purpose and significance for life. When you pray that prayer and you mean it, you're going to get a response from Jesus. And those that are here that are followers of Jesus already, maybe you're in a difficult spot. You're in a trial. You're going through a process perspective is being challenged and you need to change and you feel the pressure of that and it hurts it's heavy he offers you a hosanna moment he brings relief he gives you breathing room but you've got to surrender all of yourself to him not part When he makes his entrance into your life one you'll never forget might not be what you expect it will be everything that you need everything because he's working all things together for good for those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. So on this Palm Sunday the anniversary of the celebration of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem how about standing to your feet and celebrating the Lord coming into your life today and give him glory in his house and thanksgiving. Hosanna! Save us now!